crooked. My dome's crooked. Crooked dome, breath blown, BMB. <laughs> I know it that bad. Ooh, that was loud. Um, but my ears are definitely crooked. I always have to get my glasses adjusted, otherwise yeah. they sit crooked on my face. <laughs> but I got enough hair, it covers it up. Society was just too much. I couldn't hack it. Six motherfucking years in a straight jacket. Oh, dear Max. <laughs> Don't know what's going on with the great DMX. But hopefully he recovers. Hopefully. God damn it. Also oh. I guess word to the wise, be careful about how much you take of what you take. Yeah, quit doing crack cocaine. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting mistakes were made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across in the beautiful, the effervescent, banging it again in another dress. Kristen Bloom. And now I'm that. taking a sip of Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Not bad. Probably a bit sweet on... Kristen Bloom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I barely fit into this dress, but I fit into it. Fuck yeah. So there's that. <laughs> Proud of you. Looks sexy. Thank you. <laughs> so what's up? Where do you want to start? Um, We got engaged a year ago. We did get engaged a year ago. How's that feel? I can't believe it's gone by that fast. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. These rings been on these fingers for a year, son. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the pandemic's been going on for a year either, but also simultaneously it feels like this has been going on my entire life. Yeah, can you imagine, though, like we were going to get engaged and be like, oh, in like two or three weeks when the pandemic's over, we'll start planning some sort of a thing to go back home, and we mm -hmm. would still be waiting to do that. We would be a we year would. into waiting to get married. We would, apparently. Um... But we got that courthouse apocalyptic shit. So. <laughs> apparently now that... Um... The vaccine's been rolling out and people have been getting it. I saw an article saying, uh, based on CDC recommendations, you can travel within the U.S. if you are fully vaccinated without having to quarantine or anything. And I was mm -hmm. like, God damn, I didn't realize we were still quarantining, <laughs> like, just to travel yeah. in the U.S. <laughs> no, we've been working this entire time. We haven't left the city. <laughs> <laughs> so I can travel and not quarantine. you got to sit by your lonesome for, like, a good week. Yeah. And right now, neither one of us can go to England. But <laughs> But we're trying. We got plans with buddies that are just in the, hey, did you want to do this? Not in the, hey, we planned anything out to go oh, back yeah. to Tokyo. Yeah. Back to Tokyo for you. I've never been. <laughs> I've never, never left the country. It's going to be awesome. But I, I feel like they're going to expect me to know more shit than I'm going to know when I go there. But I just spent almost the whole time getting drunk. On base. <laughs> like near the base. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be like, show us around Tokyo. And I'll be like, well, here's a city. And this city's pretty cool. But, you know, I was hammered the whole time. So I don't really remember how to get anywhere. <laughs> and this is how you say thank you. Well, it'd be cool to, <laughs> for you to see it from As the an perspective. Adult. Yeah. Yeah. being a bit um, older and dif having a different life yeah. perspective, right? Yeah, because I want to go back and do... Like, I never got to go to, like, Kyoto, which is, like, the pre-World War II capital. I never got to go there. I didn't get to go to Hiroshima, which we could do. I mean, these are long trips. Um, but doing more of the historical stuff, because I did a little bit of the historical and religious stuff, but I wasn't really, like, a... a a, a Zen Buddhist master, as you see before you today. You did the, the hiking up to the tea cart thing at the yeah, top of the mountain. Yeah, I, I, I did a couple of the mountains. I didn't do uh, Fuji, which I don't know why I never got around to doing that. But it was like two or three months where it's passable without like getting sunburned so bad that your skin falls off your body or freezing to death. And I just, I was always busy in that little window there. 
any amount of sun as being sunburns are bad. Your skin falls off your body for me. <laughs> Five seconds in the sun and my skin's like, Whoa. Yeah, but I'd like to do some of that when the quarantines lift. I'd, I'd like to go back for the historical thing. I mean, Japan has an insane amount of history and culture, and my drunk ass did not appreciate that when I was, you know, 19. So I'm looking forward to eventually getting to go over there and to take you to England. Yeah, I definitely... I'm ish at this. They are being loud. <laughs> Our windows and doors are open because, once again, it's a stunningly beautiful day here. <laughs> but uh, stunningly beautiful days mean... You're stunningly beautiful. Aww. 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 Stunningly beautiful days mean people are out in droves in the little park <laughs> area, which is where our door faces. But yeah, I'd like to go back and to take you to England because I can't actually walk you around London. I've been there, you know, a handful of times. I know enough to get us around and I know how the tubes work and all that fun shit. So, I mean, I'm definitely very excited to travel in general. Like, I'd be super excited to go to Japan. But I, I think I've always been, because um, culturally, like more of my heritage is European and mm-hmm. Irish and stuff like that. I've yeah. always been like You're really... You're a face redhead. Yeah, I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've always been really excited to go to um, Europe and to kind of yeah. travel some of the areas over there. So, yeah, I'm very excited to go to England and um, ideally, maybe not the first go around, but eventually uh, mosey over to Ireland. <laughs> yeah. No, we can get to Ireland really easy. I mean, if we wanted to take a day trip to Ireland, it's doable. We just fucking fly it's like a four-hour flight out of Heathrow they did finally I have to call and double check because they didn't um, I don't think I've told you guys any of this um so when Brett and I got married and I sent in all my paperwork to (laughs) update my last name apparently they fucked up my birthday at the social security office so I sent in the paperwork to get that fixed and they did finally send my stuff back to me uh, the letter they sent me just said they were sending me a new card, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming hopefully they fixed my birthday, but I'm going to call on Monday and check on that, but I've got the passport application pretty much filled out and ready to go. <laughs> I just needed to get that fixed first, so now that that's... <laughs> it is so Is noisy that a fire alarm? I don't know. It's so noisy today. It stopped now. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this I was... is why I drink. <laughs> our trip to the grocery store remember is our, why you drink. Do you remember our old apartment? How did we ever deal with that level of just police sirens fucking four feet away from the window? <laughs> and all the night? neighbor above us. And the neighbor above us trying to kill his wife the whole fucking time. <laughs> that is the one nice thing about being on the top floor. Nobody's banging directly above our heads. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all the noisy people. We bang on people's heads. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I got that back, so... Shooting off the passport application soonish. Hell yeah. I gotta do the whole photo thing and set an appointment because apparently, because of COVID, you have to have an appointment to Well, oh, you typically have to have a, a, an appointment when you go to get your passport. Oh, really? Yeah, because I think it's done through the post office mm-hmm. and they've got like one employee who does that shit and you, they the need to know. The desk is literally as big as a person. It's yeah. tiny. <clears throat> so in my experience, I've always had to schedule an appointment. One of the craziest experiences of my life happened with a passport person in Tennessee before the last time I went over to England um had to get my passport updated and I was planning on like a 15 minute in and out you know no harm no foul mm-hmm. and this is like in the middle of my like spiral <laughs> and so I had so this all the harm and all the foul yeah so <laughs> I had this like philosophy where I you know do the yes man thing just kind of like lean in so I because I, I I'm 
I'm bad at writing dialogue, and so this was my thing, was I would have, and you've seen it, crazy conversations with absolute strangers, where I just try to make them my best friend for like 20 minutes. <laughs> I was in... outside old Chicago. Exactly. And he's a Facebook friend of mine now, and probably a podcast listener, so what's up, bro? <laughs> <laughs> he was a cruise ship guy in the 70s playing hair metal, and he still plays hair metal on cruise ships. He's pretty cool. Um... Yeah, that is hyper distracting. Okay, I'm gonna close it. All right, we're pausing. We'll be back. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I'm sorry because I didn't do my normal pre-pause screen. <laughs> you just scared the shit out of the audience. You scared the shit out of me. You <laughs> Somebody just drove off I-24 and into a fucking tree. (laughs) For no reason. Oh, Christ. (laughs) That was dumb. (laughs) So anyway. Passport office? I go to the passport office thing. And, like, uh, the one that I went to in Tennessee had this, uh, like, big metal security door. And, like, you had to, like, knock three times and, like, whistle the tune to the fucking Looney Tunes <laughs> to get him to open this fucking door. And um, I'm sitting there with this lady, and she's asking me questions, and I'm answering the questions and shit. And uh, filling out the forms and all that noise. And then I can't remember what started the conversation, but I didn't get to leave for an hour and a half. Oh, Jesus. Because she started telling me about how her daughter had died, if I remember correctly, mm. like, three months before and like she was just back to work after like going through the Aww. grieving and shit like that it was like her first week back from like the death of her daughter or her daughter-in-law and she just kind of came to pieces and i became her therapist for like an hour and a half i was like so how does that make you feel why does mm-hmm. why does this make you feel that way well like what are you doing in remembrance like asking her like these full bore fucking really personal questions and she was just streaming tears down Aww. her face it was one of the wildest like talk to a stranger moments i've ever had and I think about her all the time. Yeah, the passport office here is not a private room. It's, like, right out in the open. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to have that same sort of access to people <laughs> that, that I had. I was like, it's just me and you in this room, and we can talk about our experiences. I was like, well, I lost my father, you know? like. You know? <laughs> they ask you on the passport application, too, like, when you're traveling and where you're traveling. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID. Eventually, but I just want to have this on hand so I can get the fuck I out mean, of here. I mean, but really, though, because the process takes like a couple of months to get it back. So I'm like, I don't know. Undetermined. <laughs> Is it your first passport? Yeah. Are you excited about it? I am. I'm not excited about the passport photo, though, because those things are good for 10 years. <laughs> so if it's a bad one, I'm just screwed. You just got to do what I do, where it's like, fuck, I lost my passport again. I got to go take a picture. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I have the same exact picture for, like, every ID that I've ever had. Just it's just angry, bald, bald white guy. <laughs> I look like the person you don't want on the airplane. <laughs> I was actually thinking about uh, doing that with my driver's license, being like, oh, I lost it. Can I retake the photo? <laughs> Because I don't like the photo on it. Oops, I accidentally cut it into 50,000 pieces. You know? Guess I'm going to need a new one. <laughs> but yeah, got engaged to Kiriko. Yeah. Planning eventually to Trip travel. To Tokyo. <laughs> 
England first, though. England first. I think both of our parents would be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> if we just fucked off to Tokyo, they're like, not only am I not going back to Tennessee, I'm getting on the longer plane. <laughs> it's going to take so much away. longer. <laughs> I have finally decided to be an adult and finally sent in my uh, paperwork for my tags Hell a yeah. year later. <laughs> and you sent a, oh, and by the way, go fuck yourself letter for the job. No, and, uh, no not no. a, by the way, go fuck yourself letter, but like, Dropped your dick. Trying to be more Dropping dick on the table. Like, hey, I'm here, bitches. Trying to be more assertive about the things that I want. Good girl. Uh, I don't know how that's going to play out, but we'll see. Well, I mean, I think it's important to be assertive and get rejected, you know, is better than not knowing, you know. If you know that you gave it everything you fucking had and you went for it anyway... At least you got a cool story to tell. If you fuck off and keep making excuses, like if you're just out there and you're like, oh, I'm not going to go for the job that I want, you don't have like the ability to bitch about your current situation. Yeah. So you're continuing to fight your way out of the paper bag, and you're doing a damn good job. I think maybe, um, I know it's obnoxious, I keep bringing this up, but I think maybe the fact that I've been going to the gym and stuff has been helping with yeah. some of that. Cause, uh helps with confidence. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm still squishy. You're not squishy. Still squishy. You're absolutely gorgeous. I'm a, I'm a Pillsbury Doughboy <laughs> packed into this dress. No, you're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like there's still, um, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm sexy or whatever. There's still like a ton you of like fat. Just called yourself the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> <laughs> there's still like a ton of fat, like in certain areas that I'd like to lose. But I think mm-hmm. like having like. The increased muscle and like feeling the increased strength and going to the gym and being able to do more than I could whenever I first started is like kind of, yeah, started to make me feel like, well, you know, if I just try, maybe yeah, I might. You can do it. No, that's one of my favorite things about working out and it became my obsession, you know, when I was in the service was I can get bigger. I can, I can weigh 10 pounds more <laughs> than I weigh right now. I can lift that weight that's five pounds more than it was yesterday, you know. I did. And I know it's not impressive because I do them on it my knees. It is impressive. Quit bitch slapping your fucking <laughs> ego and just fucking be it for a minute. <laughs> I do modified push-ups so they're not really that impressive. I do the girly on your yeah. knees push-ups. I did 20 of them in a row the other Fuck day. Yeah. I was like, yes I did. Because <laughs> when I started I couldn't even do five in a row. There you go. <laughs> I have to do it um, uh, like so many not reps because reps is one. Yes, sets. Mm-hmm. I was like, what's the word I'm looking for? I have to do so many sets though. So set two, I could not make it to 20. I was like, yep, burned all that energy in set one. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you for getting after it, love. And I'm happy that it's like improving other parts of your life because I, I really am proud that you sent the resume out today. I was like, fuck this. I'm playing a video game. And you were like, I'm staying at it. I'm getting after it. And that's commendable. That's fucking brilliant. Thank you. And we're, we're doing a week from tomorrow our campus tour so Hell yeah. we'll officially get to go check out the college here um i don't know if we'll postpone and record our talk episode on that monday instead mm-hmm. so we can talk about it or if you guys won't hear about it for a week after but in upcoming podcasts you'll get to <laughs> hear about our adventures on campus well i vote that we record on the monday and then again on the tuesday for the show that we got to watch but yeah we'd have a back-to-back recording day but yeah i want to get that down while it's still fresh mm-hmm. and Fuck uh yeah. hurrah we, we get like an actual because i scheduled yeah. an appointment we get like an actual tour with a person who's going to show us around so we get to harass yeah. that person with all the questions <laughs> and i've got a week and a half or so to uh plan out uh my my plan that i'm going to pitch 
you know, to be an adjunct professor. I'm just going <laughs> to hit him. Like my, my overall one that I really like, I want to do, even if it's for like a local group of writers that just helps out with like elementary school kids, because I want to teach a course on um, poetry appreciation through hip hop. So I could use like, because my favorite part of, you know, rap music is the the lyricism parts of it. I'm, I'm not a big beats guy. I can do with really simple beats. But, like, I like lines in a song that have, like, four or five different meanings, and they're just shot over the top of this thing. And the odd part is people that like um, rap, at least in the high school that I went to, uh, used to beat up kids like me who read. <laughs> it was like... You have the time to read. You love poetry. You, you know, F word that you can't say in 2021, but was definitely acceptable in 2003. (laughs) And going into a a school and being like, no, the, you can appreciate poetry through rap. You just have to learn how to read it instead of hearing it. And it has the same power. I think it depends on the rapper too, though. For sure. Yeah. No, (laughs) I'm not not going in there with like little Uzi Vert, but like Tupac wrote a book of poems and if you could tell me the that. difference between Tupac's poetry and Tupac's lyricism in his raps, uh, I'd be shocked and surprised. <laughs> yeah, he's, I think it's called uh, The Flower That Grew Out of the Concrete or something like that. that yeah. mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a full book or if he just wrote a couple of poems and released them. But yeah, so I, I'd like to develop an entire lesson plan and be like, hey, um, is there any chance that the English department heads here and then just walk in there and be like, I know I only have a bachelor's degree. Here's my kick-ass plan for your campus. I'm going to bring both hip-hop and poetry to your campus because there's far too many white people. I know you guys aren't listening to rap, and so you're missing a whole genre of music. Well, I know, um, and that was part of the reason I scheduled just a general tour of campus for us because I couldn't find it on your department. Mm-hmm. I know for the film department... Um, you can literally directly schedule an appointment. You can't pick the day you have to tell them, like the days you're kind of interested in. And they I guess pick they, one of those. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't find one for like the writing mm. department. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll just schedule a general tour so we can both just go and kind of check out the campus. But I'm assuming if any of the departments do it, surely they all do. So that yeah. might be something we can look into, like after the general tour, being like, hey, can I have an actual meeting mm-hmm. with the head of that department so and i can't remember the name of the woman who runs the english department up here but she is an accomplished writer i can't remember the name of the book that she wrote or her name so i haven't read it obviously (laughs) google it it was gonna be like a river runs through it and i was like that's no no, that's a a dude (laughs) it's about this city but that's not you know (laughs) i'm very excited um haven't been on a campus since we graduated at the end of 2018 and i was very ready to graduate. Mm-hmm. Like I ended up dropping my second minor, which was in writing, because I did not want to stay an extra semester because yeah. it was going to make it where I had For to stay. For a subpar diploma. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that degree. <laughs> well, it was just a minor, and um, like I, I knew I didn't want to do writing. I just thought it would look impressive to have the minor in writing, mm-hmm. and uh, I had already done all the fun classes. I was going to have to move to poetry, and I don't want to do poetry. <laughs> I love poetry. <laughs> it's one of those things I was talking about with my mom last week. Was um, like I was I was explaining to her some shit that happened at work, which was basically I was having a conversation with some people that I work with, um, and it got onto like the topic of religion, and I was trying to explain like my 
you know, fucked up little religious belief that's some sort of mixture of Hinduism and Buddhism. It's like that new age shit. I'm not special. And um, somebody was like, well, how did you get there? And I was like, I smoked too much weed in college and I read a Percy Shelley poem about, it's called Mont Blanc. It's about the mountain and how the mountain only, you know, garners the power because we are viewing the mountain. And I went off on this long fucking tangent and I'm explaining the story to my mom and she goes, it is kind of weird to look the way you look and like poetry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like, I like poetry. I really like poetry. I did not want to write poetry. Oh, I've gotcha. Yeah. uh, Sit in a class and be like, here's a haiku. Yeah, because no, I had to do that in like middle school and high school English classes. Mm -hmm. They make you do that kind of stuff. And I was not good at it. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a reason I did not major in writing. Well, it's weird because Arroyo um, was pretty close friends and I think maybe even like shared one of the professor houses um, with my poetry professor. And so my poetry professor was also like angry at the world that Mm -hmm. nobody understood his craft. He was a really funny dude. He was married to one of the other English professors, a good guy. Um, But like on day one, he goes, I don't want to see anything rhyme. And it, like, broke half the class's brain because he was like, we don't need it to rhyme. And then that, yeah, and that changed, like, my whole perception on poetry. Like, I knew that we didn't need to rhyme because I've been writing poems since I was, like, 14. But, like, any rhyme was a no-no for him. He's like, we're just writing. I couldn't break in my head. I was like, well, if we're just not going to rhyme, you know, Bukowski doesn't rhyme. But um, how do we know when to drop the sentence down you know if we're just writing sentences how do we break these things up why are we breaking them up for any sort of dramatic purpose so i didn't learn like that aspect of poetry from his class but it Mm -hmm. definitely had an influence on the way that i write because i can envision where the breaks should be in the lines which makes for more effective sentences i actually thought that was interesting and like the button poetry people that I follow, I feel like some yeah. of them do that too. And like when they just suddenly split a sentence in the middle and I'm like, I wonder why, like what, yeah. what was the motivation there? Well, I can show you some really good examples because I have the essential Bukowski and I, I'm not going to say that he invented that form, but he definitely mastered that form of if I break the lines down to where I've got like three words and then five words and then one word and then, you know, three words it changes the way that you can read them. I personally, in my own poetry, like to use parentheses, which implies to me that this can live alone without that word. But if I put it in there, then it gives it a double meaning. I've written whole poems where the stuff in parentheses doesn't make sense for the overall, but if you just read the parentheses and you take out all the other context, it makes perfect sense. I'm a G. <laughs> just out here being all experimental. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for that. <laughs> little off shoot no you're good no i'm i'm interested in it and um if my because i didn't even realize that was a thing colleges did we were talking to your teach poetry no <laughs> um <laughs> have um professors kind of come in part-time or whatever mm-hmm. um that isn't like necessarily a normal position that's a part of the university because we were talking about your uncle and he was talking about how him and his friend had pitched an idea in the university, Mm -hmm. let them develop a class and start teaching it. Um, An adjunct professor. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize you could just be like, Hey, this is a cool topic. Like I thought it was like, there's a position and if they need someone, they'll fill it. (laughs) You're kind of like a mercenary at that point. Like if your class is, um, 
like incredible, then they'll hire you for another semester. But mm-hmm. if you pitch this idea and it bombs, then Nobody you, wants to take yeah, your they'll cancel your shit in the first week. Mm-hmm. If they walk in there and they go, how the fuck is this related to this career path? How is this going to change the way they view their other courses? Goroyo, I believe, is an adjunct. He teaches this very particular series of courses. Maybe not his creative writing classes, but like his flash fiction course mm-hmm. is definitely one that he had to have pitched. I think it's odd, too, the way they handle that. Like, if you're not a tenure professor, you're Mm -hmm. basically... A um, hired gun. (laughs) Yeah, like, even the regular professors, because I had a couple of professors that had been teaching at MDSU for years, and they were, like, on the track to do the Mm tenure process, but, like, up until you get to that point, you're considered an assistant professor or something like that. Like, I don't think they called those people adjuncts because they're working towards getting tenured, but... Yeah, I was like, that's kind of fucked. I feel like that's still just a professor. Like, yeah. they've been working here for years now. Yeah, I think the issue that maybe you'd have as an adjunct teaching a flash fiction course is that is such a high-level concept. Um, you can't teach it anywhere else but the senior year. And if you, like, that's the only, like, you see, so unless those students go on for their master's, you don't have a continuation to, like, scale them on how that's affected you know mm-hmm. the impact of their writing because if you can write the only them in, class he taught though he taught. no he taught a couple other classes but the the one that like shook me to my goddamn core was the very last one i took which was his flash fiction course because it, it was mind-blowing <laughs> we're gonna write a complete fucking five-act story in five sentences and uh that's the goal <laughs> <laughs> We had to do just one for my fiction writing class, and I think mine was uh, something about a dog. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it from the perspective of the dog. So, like, you just kept getting, like, weird clips where, like, it would just be the person talking to him. So it'd be like, the dog's like, oh, I'm having a good day, da 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 yeah. Bad boy! And he'd be like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote it from, like, the perspective of a dog confused yeah. about its person's feelings. Yeah. No. I... Almost every class was, you couldn't write anything about dogs. Like Why? that was number, because it, it, it's a generic concept is the way that they viewed it. Are you calling me a hack? Um, yes. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a good tool if that's not what your degree is in. If you need to learn. I'm not, offended, sir. I'm not shitting on you if you'd let me finish my fucking sentence. <laughs> I'm offended, <laughs> sir. No, if, because... It's an immediate, completely emotional piece. Like, there's no objective truth to a story about a dog, just your feelings about dogs. But I wrote Which it from is the great, but it, of the dog's feelings, though. It, exactly. But did you find an objective truth? <laughs> the dog was very confused. <laughs> I'm not shitting on your dog story, love. I'm sure it was as brilliant as your ghost it was story. was delightful. Thank you very much. You're a jerk. You're a jerk. <laughs> I, I wrote a story about a cam girl who had a bomb sent to her in the mail by somebody delivering her Amazon gift wish list. That was my objective truth about the war in Iraq and how we're all just getting fucked on the screen. And well, we can't all be writers. <laughs> <laughs> we can't all be directors. Though. I'm not over here shooting shit. Did I upset you? Teensy bit. Teensy bit. Well, trust me, I did not mean to upset you. <laughs> Use that knowledge. Do with it what you will. 
Um, but I do have, I was going to talk about these last week, um, but we got into a brilliant conversation about war last week, so I didn't get to go through them, and I want to just finish off this book. Because now I'm like 100 pages into Gen Kill, and I can't talk about that unless we talk about the rest of this. <laughs> I've got, this, is... this is John Truby Presents The Anatomy of Story. Um, and as I said, I finished it. I loved it. Um, there were a couple of chapters that were like, I don't need this information. I know this already. But you expect that when you're reading a more technical thing on something that you're already pursuing. Um I'm sure if we bought you a book about like directing film, you're going to know, you know, a, a couple of concepts pretty much all the way down to their final sentence. And you might pull something new um, from reading it, but you, you understand the global concept of the thing. This is one of the ones where I was like, this is going to be boring. And it was actually really interesting to me. It's near the end. It's page 387. The first sentence which is the most basic of all basic writing concepts. It's the first scene, the first sentence, the first character you meet. You're setting the table. And so everybody has like this knowledge that it has to be a great opening line, you know, but nobody ever tells you what the fuck that really means. <laughs> so on 387, he says, the opening sentence of the story takes the principles of the opening scene and compresses them into one line. The first line in the broadest statement of the story and oh the first line is the broadest statement of the story and frames what the story will be about. At the same time it must have dramatic power, some kind of punch. Let's look at three classic opening sentences. Um his first one that he does is uh, Pride and Prejudice. Then he does David Copperfield, but the one that I'm most familiar with, and probably you too is The Catcher in the Rye. Have you read The Catcher in the Rye? I have. I think that's basically every high school kid's requirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did not actually care for The Catcher in the Rye, though. You didn't? No. He was kind of a whiny cunt, wasn't he? Was he? A bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> not that it was poorly written. It just wasn't a story I got into. Yeah. No, I, I liked it as a kid. I reread it in college because I was doing this paper on books that had been banned and shit like that. And that's a big one that got banned because mm. it got John Lennon shot. So, <laughs> like I had this big concept paper on it. Um, but The Catcher of the Rye was Salinger in 1951. And so you've got position on the character arc. Uh, Holden Caulfield is in a sanitarium remembering what happened to him the previous year. So he is close to the end of his development, but without the final insights that will come to him by reviewing and telling his own story. Um, and then you've got like the basic problems about himself. He needs to figure out where to begin the story. He wants to tell the reader who he really is. Uh, he must express the basic theme and value. And then he has a four part on strategy that we're not diving into, but the first opening lines of Catcher in the Rye. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born and what my lousy childhood was like and how my parents were occupied and all before they had me and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it. If you want to know the truth, I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas before I got pretty run down and had to come out here and take it easy. So you put your narrator immediately 
upfront, your mm-hmm. like storyteller character, your your main narrative, feels alive because he still has like this fifteen year old way of talking to you. Like he's blowing off his own audience. I don't have time for that David Copperfield kind of crap. <laughs> I think maybe like again, not that it's not well written. I think maybe like you reading that first sentence kind of reminded me too, minus the fact that I didn't really care for the main character. Uh, the writing feels a bit clunky to don't, me. Don't do that to Salinger. Oh, it does, though. <laughs> I'm like, man, that was a wordy-ass first sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it's very breathy. <laughs> but I've got to... Co- pontificate in the corner over here. <laughs> but then I that inspired me to go find some other really good first sentences. Um, <clears throat> I, I had a whole point to this when I wrote these notes last week, and I've forgotten it. So we're just going to go through, because the, the second thing I want to talk about is more tied into today. Um, so I'm going to read a thing, and you're going to try to guess oh, what no. it's from. Is it going to be stuff I know? Like, don't throw me stuff Most of it know. should be. Okay. Uh, it was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking 13. Oh, man, I do know this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to throw out a guess and be, like, super far off, though, because I know what it is. Uh, go for it. No, I don't know. Like, I know in the George back of Orwell, brain. 1984. Yeah. Oh, that's literally what I was going to say. <laughs> yep. Oh, I'm so sad I didn't say it. So you get bright, you get cold. Those don't go together. You don't get cold April. You don't get striking 13. So, like, he's packed in levels of, holy fuck, we're not in the current world in the first sentence. That's how it's done. Go fuck yourself, Salinger. <laughs> I wish I'd said it, because now in hindsight, that doesn't sound like I actually knew it. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. The second one. I, let me see. One, two, three, four, five. So I've got six. Oh, Let's geez. see how we do out of six. Oh, jeez. Right now we're at a zero. Oh, no. Someone must have slandered Joseph K., for one morning, without having done anything wrong, he was arrested. I don't think I know that one. Kafka, the trial. Yeah, I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> All this happened, more or less. Oh, man. That one sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know for sure if I know what it is either. Kurt Vonnegut, Slaughterhouse Five. Oh, yeah, I've not read that. I feel like maybe you've read that to me. But... You know this one. It was a pleasure to burn. I don't. Ray Bradbury. Fahrenheit 451. I don't think I've read Fahrenheit 451. Oh, I thought you loved that one. For some reason in my head, like that was like we talked about it before and you loved Fahrenheit. I don't think I've read it. I could be wrong. Um, Let's see if you know this one. We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. No. Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I am not well versed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the last one. They're out there. Black boys in white suits. Whoop. Black boys in white suits up before we commit sex acts in the hall and get it mopped up before I can catch them. Yeah, I don't know any of these. The <laughs> one, fir- one flew over the cuckoo's uh. nest. It's from the chief's perspective. I think I missed a, a line in there <laughs> or a, a word. Yeah, the first one was the only one that I was like, I definitely know that one. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to take a bunch of really famous ones and see where we sit. But yeah, the first line is Kristen really important. Is dumb. <laughs> You're not dumb, but like if you think about any of those lines, like they pack the punch of the entire story. So it was a pleasure to burn. Fahrenheit 451, if I remember correctly, is told from the perspective of a firefighter. <laughs> and in the book, the firefighters are the ones burning the books. And so he realizes through the course of the story that what he's done is destroyed, you know, history and culture and 
all this shit. But he's making an admittance right up front. It was a pleasure to burn. You know? <laughs> I wonder... This is a weird side that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But I do wonder if we're going to regret making everything so digital because I feel like at some point some of our history is going to get lost to... I think it's much easier, for sure. Yeah, like data corrupting over time mm-hmm. or it just not being as popular anymore. And, like, I know with, like, really old books, you know, they might be a little bit harder to find. Like, the Stephen King book was a bit harder to find, mm-hmm. but well, that's not really old. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, the, King. No, Rage, um, the, the one that he pulled from, you know, all the shit. Yeah, so I, I know... When all there is is the printed work and it's not something that's made anymore, it's also harder to find, but it exists somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, like, I get that it can degrade over time, but, like... If, if you have 500,000 copies of a book, you're going to find that book yeah. eventually. But if it's all on an, a, an encrypted disc and somebody dies who had the password, then you're kind of fucked. Well, also, <laughs> just in general, I feel like we're producing so much content now that everything's digital that if interest drops off, are we going to care as much anymore whether or not mm-hmm. we're maintaining that content? Yeah. So I wonder if we're inadvertently... Did you break your lighter? Almost. <laughs> if we're inadvertently kind of quote-unquote burning our own history that's interesting sorry total aside no i think we had, uh, i think we've got a book that we can write right now i think <laughs> you've just hit me with the premise <laughs> <laughs> it's just i don't know it's uh i mean it's kind of a far-fetched thought i know um yeah, all of this stuff is probably being double and triple backed up on some hard drive somewhere. Yeah, you can find but, it if you can remember it. But yeah, like when I, you get so much shit, like if I want to find a YouTube video, I have to almost remember everything that happened and like search Reddit for the motherfucker. You know? I got double back up all of our stuff. But I mean, the fact is motherboards eventually give out. Mm-hmm. So um, when the motherboard that runs the computer no longer works anymore. All your content's gone. That's your book that you need to write. <laughs> and the motherboard that ran the world finally died. <laughs> Mankind forgot everything. That's your first sentence. There you go. That's your first sentence. I don't write. Remember, <laughs> I write ghost stories. <laughs> when my owner said I was a bad boy. <laughs> I think I called the story good boy, actually. Good. Girl. (laughs) (laughs) And this last little bit that I want to do, and this could be probably the chunk of the rest of the conversation. Uh, We've got time left. We're not in a rush or anything, but these are like bigger concept type things. So I want to read you like two things from the very final chapter. So it's chapter 11, The Never Ending Story. There are only Uh, 11 chapters in that? Yep. It's a fairly thick book it's, for only being 11 chapters. It's for fairly thick people like myself and my belly <laughs> and my brain space. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So this is his wrapping it up. Thank you for reading my book, <laughs> more or less. And I'm going to read a little bit from 419 and then a little bit from 421. Um, so this is the never-ending story as it is in story. Okay? And then we'll talk about the other thing. So we're not talking about the literal never-ending story? No, because I'm going to do that second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like the book? Yeah, well, the movie. The movie? No, we're not going to talk about that That's at all. A Since a story is always a whole, and the organic end is found in the beginning, a great story always ends by signaling to the audience to go back to the beginning and experience it again. 
The story is an endless cycle, a Mobius strip that is always different because the audience is always rethinking it in the light of what has just happened. I have a quote for you that's relevant. Um, I want to say it's a book you bought me. I don't know which book offhand. Um, but it's similar. And I, like, I highlighted it because I was like, that's a really interesting premise. But mm -hmm. it says... Uh, so if you think you have a great beginning of a story, but the end is weak, the real truth is that you don't yet have the right beginning. Mm -hmm. And I posted that like forever That's ago. That's like a huge argument that this guy has throughout where you need to start at the end, know where you're trying to get to, mm -hmm. and then run it back. But yeah, I think that's an interesting thought. If, um, I don't know, if your ending's dog shit, maybe you didn't spend enough time up front developing mm -hmm. the people that got us there. Yeah. And his argument, as far as it pertains to story, is like Saul and the usual suspects, uh, the Sixth Sense, have two-part rewind value. Like, I, I love Saul, and I'll watch it, even though I know the dead is dead on the floor, and I'll watch the usual suspects. I'll watch Sixth Sense, knowing that Bruce Willis is dead the entire fucking film. I like the story, so I'm going to go back. But most audience members, you know, you've got one shot with them, you know. And so after you know that he's dead on the floor the whole time, you're only really going to enjoy Saul one more time because you know, know the puzzle pieces and you're, you're viewing it from the narrative perspective. Um, whereas... Oh, I've lost it. Like, you're going to go back and watch The Godfather. <laughs> like, over and over and over again and find something new or catch a little joke. Like, it's it's a complete... If you... One and two. Fuck three. <laughs> but one and two, you can watch all the way through and then rewind the tape, knowing that Fredo is the reason why this whole situation set itself off. It has ultimate replay value because the opening line... And the closing scene of two all run perfectly together. Or maybe if you just think about the one that's a mirrored scene. So it's uh, Vito talking to um, the Undertaker guy. The, and um, then it's Michael kicking Kay out of the room and having everybody kiss his ring. And you get to see the son become the father and the father fall away. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of a weird concept, though, this idea of replay value. Like, I don't... I think I, I don't have particular movies. Like, I know some people that are, like, Harry po or Harry Potter fanatics or whatever that every year rewatch the series. Or, yeah, I like... watch The Godfather, like, at least once. <laughs> or not The Godfather, but Goodfellas. I like to watch at least once a year. Yeah, and, like, I, I love Lord of the Rings, but I'm not someone who's like, oh, it's been a year since I've seen it. I should watch it again, you know? And I know there are some people that are like that. So maybe in that sense, things have a replay value because there are definitely movies I wouldn't be like, I want to see it every year for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's a bizarre concept that anything that is well done has a lifespan. Like, I think the two stars we watch are definitely movies. They I would don't not... have a lifespan. <laughs> yeah, those, would... are, those are what he's talking about. <laughs> I would not watch again because they're just not yeah, good all You don't want to come back because the plot is not interesting. The, the characters, characters are, give not me nothing. Well done. 
Yeah, but like I've reread books like mm. a couple of times where it's like I know exactly where this is going to go, but I'm so compelled by how this is done. Or films that I, I mean, we own films on DVD, so we can mm. go back and rewatch them. God knows how many times I've seen The Devil's Rejects. <laughs> I think even with movies that have a like big plot twist ending that you don't necessarily see coming. I don't think that ruins it later on mm-hmm. if the movie is well done to go back and rewatch it as many times as you want knowing that. So like even that movie, Oh God, what was that back in the nineties or whatever? Memento. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen this movie, cause it wasn't, I've like, never seen it, but I know the ending. Okay, it's been so, talked and about a lot so of people times. know the ending yeah. of it. But spoiler alert: pause if you don't want to hear this, or skip ahead, yeah, or whatever. It's like the way I talk um, about usual suspects, it's like <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> <laughs> like it was, it was a, I think a popular movie of the time, but definitely a movie that's dropped away, so some people may not know how it ends. But yeah, basically, this dude doesn't have a memory of. I think it's just the previous night is all mm-hmm. that it is, and he's left himself all these clues to try to piece it back together. And I think it's his wife that's dead. I don't really remember yeah, who's he's dead. he's, like, written on himself with marker and yeah, shit. He's yeah, he's left himself all these, like, like photographs and all these just little literal mementos to help piece back together his night. And like I said, I think his wife is who's dead. Mm-hmm. And we find out at the end of the movie, he's the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time, he's, like, so distraught over this thing. So the whole movie, we're, like, trying to piece it together frantically with him. And I don't feel like, because the movie was... I don't know that if I watched it today, I would still feel the same way. But at the time, I remember thinking it was so well done that I don't feel like like watching it again, knowing that, would ruin it for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't watch stuff um, necessarily specifically because I want to be surprised or caught off guard. Like, I enjoy the art of the work. So but, I, Yeah. But we're not the average American audience. Yeah. So, like... That sounds pretentious. <laughs> you are pretentious. I'm not fucking pretentious. Apparently I'm stupid and you're pretentious. I, I never said you were stupid. <laughs> I said, of course they would make you write a story about a dog and they would never let me write a story about a dog. They didn't make me a choice to write a story about a dog. <laughs> <laughs> then I misunderstood your whole point. I'm sorry, my love. You're beautiful. I'm brilliant. You're effervescent. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. We're not the average audience. Yeah. We're not the average audience. And I, and I don't mean that as in we're better than the average person. But like... People go to I the am, movie for the I am experience. the average dude who kind of knows how to fix his Jeep, but I'm not a mechanic. You know? <laughs> when I talk to my mechanic friends, they start labeling shit that I don't even have a concept of. You know, when we sit down to watch a movie or I sit down to read a book, like, I know how this shit is made like so Mm. or we know how this shit is made and so we're looking for things at a different angle than the average person is like oh it's a sunday night let me throw on you know a good movie and you know sit down with my bowl of popcorn we watch movies almost every single night and we don't eat enough popcorn we don't eat enough popcorn. why do we not eat more popcorn because my belly's this big just based (laughs) on the beer um so The other thing that I wanted to talk about, and this is kind of cheating because I'm pulling it from his, you know, next to last paragraph um, and showing his hand to you. But I'll read the, I actually fucking read the whole last thing here, Um, is the never ending story in life. Not the movie. In life as opposed to in story. So how to take all of these skills that you learn through this book and learn to apply them to yourself 
and not only your art, which I thought was a beautiful send-off at the very end. So that's 421. He says, but mastering technique is not enough. Let me end with one final reveal. You are the never-ending story. If you want to tell the great story, the never-ending story, you must, like your hero, face your own seven steps, and you must do it every time you write a new story. I have tried to provide you with a plan, the strategies, tactics, and techniques that will help you reach your goal, fulfill your needs, and gain an endless supply of self-revelation. Becoming a master storyteller is a tall order, but if you can learn the craft and make your own life a great story, you will be amazed at the fabulous tales that you will tell. If you are a good reader, and I have no question that you are, you are not the same person you were when you began this book, now that you've read it once, let me suggest, well, you know what to do. <laughs> read it again <laughs> you like that do you um do you find yourself revisiting books like as frequently as you do movies well, movies because it's a more passive mm -hmm. thing like i can experience with other people but i've read survivor probably 15 fucking times i could quote it all night i did the same thing with most of polynix works fuck you too dog <laughs> like you're so pretentious yeah but there's there's a lot of books that like I, I would never read again but i have them in case i can give them to other people mm -hmm. you know like i'm gonna read bird by bird a second time if i, I just, ever finish if it. you ever finish it. <laughs> and it might not be this year it might not be next year but like i hold on to that one in particular because i know i'm gonna need that one again mm -hmm. on writing i've done two or three times i know i'm gonna need that book again this one definitely going on the bookshelf is I need to get back in that. Uh, Patton? No. <laughs> Never reading Patton again. Not because it's a bad book, but because it, I've read it already. I read about the Kurt Vonnegut one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slaughterhouse Five. No. The, or was it not Kurt Vonnegut? Who was it that had the, like, it was all super sexual and you were like, I can't. Yeah, it's not Kurt Vonnegut. Oh. That's um, Naked Lunch. Mm, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, William S. Burroughs. The heroin addict who shot his wife and was also a writer. <laughs> or when Rabbit Howls for when mm. you want to be super depressed because that one's been yeah. sitting in your car for like yeah. a year. <laughs> it's like I'm gonna get there eventually, but listening, like I'm hypersensitive to like child rape stories, just make me so fucking angry. I can't focus on reading because I'm like, God damn it! I just want to go cut the dick off of whoever drilled this into your head. But no, I think that. Um, that last little chunk, I like that concept of your life as hero. You know, it, it, it blends well with like that clip from Rogan that I like to listen to from time to time where it's like, imagine that suddenly a camera crew is following you around and this is the beginning of your story. You know, mm -hmm. like you're a fuck up. That's why you're being followed around and everybody wants to see you fucking go over that curve, go through your five act, mm -hmm. you know, and you can do that at any point in your life. I think. Like you can go to the gym and then start shooting out resumes and wear bang ass dresses. <laughs> well, I think maybe to some extent COVID kind of did that. At least for me, I know for a lot of people, the pandemic has been kind of, um, 
really debilitating. The craziest thing that's ever happened. Really debilitating (laughs) to their lives because I know some people have lost um, almost everything that they own as far as financial stuff goes. So I'm not trying to make light of the situation at all. But um, I don't know. I, I think I had this expectation that if we graduated college like I knew when I went to college and I was getting a film degree that that (laughs) degree was basically a useless degree like I knew Mm -hmm. the literal piece of paper degree was not going to um have an effect on whether or not I got jobs yeah because people keep asking me what I want to do and I'm like I want to write (laughs) want to get to the position where people leave me alone long enough so I can fucking do it again (laughs) well you had already before we graduated published a book and like I had Mm -hmm. already worked on films and stuff so I knew realistically having the degree wasn't going to have an effect on whether or not I was working um it's more like a declaration (laughs) well yeah and I think I expected the um the knowledge that I picked up while I was in school to have kind of propelled me forward a lot more. So I kind of had this false sense of, well, when I have the piece of paper and I have this extra knowledge that I've picked up and also all this extra equipment that I've bought while I've been in school, I'm going to graduate and just instantly have work and I'm Mm -hmm. never going to have to worry about it again and it's going to be fine. Um, And clearly that was not how it panned out. Well, what I found, you know, because I have the same experience, you, you can't, Nobody is impressed by a creative writing bachelor's degree. Like, they don't give a shit. It's, Mm -hmm. have you written and published a book? That's what people give a shit about. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you still writing? That's what people give a fuck about. Um, But it was like a declaration of war. You know, like, I almost had to be dragged to the fucking graduation. Because I was like, I I don't give a shit about this piece of paper. I can spend this time working. (laughs) I wanted my piece of paper. Yeah, 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 yeah. I framed both of our pieces of paper and they're not hanging. (laughs) If it does anything, getting the degree in it um, shows you how many holes you had in your understanding of this thing that you loved. Like, I didn't leave college. I mean, I guess technically smarter. I left college smarter. Um, But artistically, it just goes, hey... um, took your piece of paper with all the answers and then just flipped it over and said, you don't know shit yet. (laughs) Go figure it out. (laughs) Well, I think for me, um, maybe now that we've been doing this for a while and it feels a bit more like there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. that is COVID. Um, COVID's the light at the end of your tunnel? No. The the light at the end of the tunnel that has been this weird ass year. I think I had this expectation, like I was saying, that we would graduate and that it would just kind of all fall into place and that I had put in the bulk of the work that Mm -hmm. I had to put in to get anywhere already. Because it's like, well, I went to school, I taught myself all these things, I did more work than what was required of me while I was in school. And like, to me, it was like, this is going to look impressive. I'm impressive. (laughs) I'm going to get a job. You're impressive and you look impressive. (laughs) Thank you. Um... And then we got here because I I think we kind of put, I mean, we started the podcast and everything after graduation, but I think we kind of put ourselves a bit on hold because we were like, well, we're not staying in Tennessee. We're going to move away and Mm -hmm. it's going to be fantastic. And then we got here and almost immediately COVID happened. I'm happy we got here before COVID happened because if I was locked down in Tennessee right now, I would be shitting myself constantly. (laughs) I'd be like, God, damn that church with their fucking boats for Jesus. (laughs) Screaming in traffic. Um. Yeah, we got here and I feel like everybody at the beginning, because we didn't really know what was going to happen or what this was going to end up being, was so scared that it just felt like we had to just kind of accept the circumstances Mm -hmm. that we were currently in. So Brett and I have 
day jobs we've just been kind of muddling through and you know i'm thankful that we both were able to keep jobs the whole time um because like i said again there are a lot of people that have been um a lot more disrupted in their lives than brett and i were during Mm -hmm. all of this but i think there was kind of this expectation of everything has just been halted and we're just kind of waiting Mm -hmm. and now that we've kind of gotten through i feel like maybe the worst of it hopefully knock on wood um i will make that determination after dmx either pulls through this shit or dies and i'll be really sad if he's sad <laughs> but we've, we've got the vaccines and life's yeah. to some degree kind of returning to some semblance of normalcy even though we still have to wear the masks and stuff and so like i think i've kind of realized on the back half of what was like the uncertainty of covid is like you don't get to be complacent. Like, you can't just be like, oh, well, I got a degree. It's going to fall in. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I think I've been making, like, we we made a few short films and stuff, so it's not like we didn't do anything at all. But I think I've been making a lot of excuses where it's like, well, I did the work. Like, <laughs> I want my job. I did it. Why yeah. didn't I get my stuff? <laughs> I didn't get my gold star. <laughs> um and yeah, and like realizing like that isn't the work. The work is a lifelong endeavor. Yeah. Of... It's like you had to machine gun your way up a hill full of zombies to find the starting line. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, your life is, or your work is a lifelong endeavor of all the yeah. things that you do and all the effort that you put in. Kind and of... your life is a long time endeavor of just fighting for that starting line. Like yeah. you're going to kick ass and then you get to the top of that hill and you look up and there's another fucking hill. And you're like, how many fucking hills? <laughs> so yeah, I think, um, and maybe. Zephyrus or whatever the name of the dude with the boulder. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't know. I'm smart. <laughs> You're a genius. My beers are hitting me. You're a genius. That's what my mom used to call me. A genius. Yeah. She used to make fun of me because I. My I dad did. used to call me a fucking <laughs> retard. Yeah, I did so. I did. I did well in school. Uh, so my mom would always call me a genius. Um, <laughs> dad always called me a mistake. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's having been through this weird chaotic year where our understanding of how our lives work and how um, we work together. Especially as a newly married couple in the middle of a global apocalypse as like struggling artists. (laughs) It was like lesson after lesson after lesson. Some good, some bad. All of them made us stronger and, you know, better with and for each other. But it's, it's learning, I think, post-COVID, where our understanding of what what society looks like, it's, it's learning to give yourself permission to be more assertive about the things that you want, where, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, I think before COVID, we all just kind of had lives we were living and then COVID happened and our um, realities of what our lives look like kind of halted or shifted or whatever. And we all had to make a lot of adjustments and um, people's home lives and work lives and stuff have changed a lot because of this and like kind of realizing like, oh, like I, I can have an effect and I can mold what my future is and what my life looks like. And if I'm... Yeah. Put your station of the world in the limelight. Mm-hmm. So like, you're like, where do I stand? What did I not do? If we have this thing that we were convinced last year, 
was going to like eradicate 75% of the planet, suddenly you looked at yourself differently, you know? If this global trauma is going to take 20 years for us to fucking figure out whether it was as bad or not as bad as we thought it would be, and depending on your station in life, um, it may have been worse. It may have helped, but we were all scared fucking shitless. You and I didn't stop working. We've yet to pay off the, the college debt, but we had a job the entire way through. I'm going to be paying on the college debt for a hot minute. <laughs> That's but not I, going anywhere. <laughs> I think that we're going to be appreciating the artistry, entrepreneurial like side of what we do more than we would without COVID. Mm-hmm. Because COVID introduces this, oh, everybody can work from home. How do I get in on that shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think, too, um, because people's, I think, stability in work in general, like, a lot of people got laid off just because companies weren't sure if they were going to go under or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies went under. I got fired of, six times. <laughs> a lot of companies took advantage of the tax credits and were selfish about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's kind of like brought to the forefront, like you have to um, kind of create the type of life that you want. So it's like if you want something or you have an expectation of something, you kind of have to go after it yourself because these people aren't necessarily looking out for you. Yeah. And um, They don't give a fuck. <laughs> the government doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> you and yours, those are the people that you need to protect. It's oddly given us this strange sense of community without being able to actually physically touch one another it's the wildest shit in america right now or in montana at least i can't talk for the rest of the country <laughs> i feel closer to like who i want to be because <laughs> like everybody's convinced like tomorrow the aliens might show up like we lost david bowie and shit's been sketchy ever since <laughs> the aliens did show up we missed it oh, it was david <laughs> you ready to go make some fucking chicken thighs? Yeah. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, chicken thighs. Chicken thighs. And I'm going to look at those thighs <laughs> in that dress. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm on. And I'm going to, like, probably not listen to DMX until 1 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'd I did appreciate that. Last that. Night. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you about a movie we haven't picked out yet on Tuesday. X going to give it to you. He's going to give it to you. X going to give it to you. Oh, yeah.